Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, so if you've been with us for a minute, um, for the past two weeks, we've been getting into emotional, um, emotionally um, healthy spirituality, a book that we've been teaching in our discipleship. Um, who has their books? Throw your hands up in there if you got your books already. All right, and we're going to be starting the discipleship soon. And so as we're actually working through this in our discipleship, which we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights, make sure you sign up. I know you probably heard somebody already tell you that, but I want you all to make sure you sign up. As we're working through it, we're also going to be preaching a series that goes along with it. Pastor Rodney started with the first part of it last week, and I'm going to be jumping into the second part this week. Um, And this week is going to be um, like the 10 symptoms of being um, emotionally unhealthy. It's going to be really fun. So you're really going to love all that stuff. Anyway, y'all didn't catch that. Y'all wake up in a minute. Anyway, so we're going to be jumping into that this morning. You know, I, um, not too long ago, I was at this uh, conference called the Global Leadership Summit. And there was a gentleman there by the name of David Livermore, right? He's a best-selling author and he's an expert on the topic of like cultural intelligence, right? And so he made this statement and it kind of caught me because He was talking about what your cultural IQ is, but he was also very much leaning into this idea of emotional health in that big conversation. And he said, um, he said that um, diversity doesn't cause more innovation unless the leaders have a high cultural IQ. Otherwise, homogeneous teams typically outperform diverse teams. And so he made that statement But then he started talking in the realms of emotional health. And I just thought that was interesting because, you know, this guy, from what I got from him, didn't seem like he was a believer and he wasn't trying to preach with what he was giving from an information standpoint. But he was still making this point that if you don't deal with what's underneath the surface, it's messy. Do you understand that? Right? And so I'll tell you this right here. When it comes to diversity, I always make the statement, we're better together, right? We're better together. We're we're sharper together. We have different cultural experiences, and if we celebrate those things, and if we're we're, we're inclusive to hear those things, and we're like, yeah, I want to learn. Like, show me, where where am I offensive in this right here or whatever? Teach me what your experience is. That means I get more well-rounded and I know more things or whatever, right? But if I'm not willing to let you take me beneath the surface, and and I'm I'm not willing to have a conversation to hear, like, how I may be offensive but not even know it, then I'm just going to be stuck like Chuck. Y'all get me? Are y'all with me? Sorry if your name is Chuck up in here, all right? I just had to just rhyme for the moment, okay? So emotional health is very, very serious. Um, It's very serious, but it's not a topic that we hear inside of the church all the time. I surely haven't. But it's one of those things, it's like when, you, um, when you're on the computer or whatever and like you got like a pro, I use a Mac so I don't have this issue or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you Droid users, I use an iPhone, but anyway, whatever, so I see you over there, Matt. I heard you just got a Droid the other day. Anyway, and, and whatever, bro, whatever. Anyway, it's like when you're running a program, but you got a program on the back end running its own game and messing things up. Anybody ever experienced that? Like your computer's getting viruses and all these other things, you get where I'm coming from? And so emotional health, not dealing with it, works very much the same way. You can have very good intentions in what you want to do, 
but you may have something up under the surface that's running game and like destroying relationships and making things just simply not come together because there's something that you haven't faced or dealt with. Y'all with me so far? Okay. I'm going to read some statistics for you for the church. This is actually, so this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn in your text or if you're on your um, phone following me, you can go to Ephesians 4. Um, we're going to be doing Ephesians 4, 1 through 31. Friend, make sure y'all hit that clock for me. I believe I have a lot to fit in, but we're going to make it happen. So I want to preach through Ephesians 4, but I'm going to be throwing in these top 10 sim- the symptoms for uh, unhealthy emotional spirituality, but I'm going to actually just be covering five of them today and doing the five next week, right? All right, I was just boasting about my, uh, about my Mac or whatever, and it just did something weird on me. <laughs> Pride comes before fall. All right, all right, look. All right, so number five on that list is dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. I'm actually hit that one straight off the bat, right? Dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. That's this idea of basically coming to play church on Sunday, but then throughout the rest of your week, you're completely forgetful of God and the implications of how the gospel um, impacts you from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night. You get where I'm coming from? So it's, it's about how we actually live and how we function. And so the reason I'm jumping to number five on the list is because I really, as I go through this, I want you to really, um, I, I, like, this isn't just like a cute topic for us to hit talking about emotional health. It's not, the, it's not a buzzword. Um, I'm excited about our discipleship. I'm excited about what we're teaching. I'm excited about dealing with this idea because I see what it does in the church all the time, right? I see the mess it kind of makes all the time. I see the mess it makes in my own life personally or whatever, right? Um, And so I know as a church, if we stop for a moment and we give time to actually go through this discipleship, as we step into what God has called called us to as a church, we're going to be healthier in the long run. But I want you to kind of feel the weightiness of um, unhealthy emotionalism, that, right? And so this is some some, um, data concerning the church, right? So church members divorce their spouses as often as their secular neighbors. Church members statistically beat their wives as beat their wives as often as their neighbors. Did you know that? Okay. Church members giving patterns indicate that they are almost as materialistic as non-Christians. White evangelicals are the most likely people to object to neighbors of another race. Many evangelicals feel that premarital sex is acceptable, and 46% um, believe that it's okay also, right? So let me, I throw that data at you because I want you to digest this idea that we have a problem on our hands, right? So like, just in the past, like, two weeks alone, I've probably heard about four different stories on social media and people on Facebook discussing stuff where they're just like, that's exactly why we're done with the church. Do y'all see that a whole lot? Right? I mean, like, well, let me stop even saying a couple of weeks. I would say in the past, like, six months or so, it's like you can't even go online without it being like, 
something that like a pastor did that was just straight up crazy or something going on that is really killing the credibility of the church, right? And so the church's job isn't to make the world love it, but it's not to do some stupid stuff too, right? It's not to shame um, the name of Christ by doing foolish things, right? So I just want you to digest the weightiness of the topic today or whatever, and that's why I wanted to put number five with you in front of you, and I want you to hear those different things because that's very alarming to me, right? So it says, so this is, these are actually church members that we're discussing in this data, all right? These aren't people who maybe come to church sometimes. These are people who are like, we're evangelicals. We represent the Lord most high and can quote scriptures up and down the block for you all day long, all right? But they're at home, you know, hitting on their wife and doing all, all types of things. So there's a disconnect somewhere where these people are sitting up under the gospel, but there's something in their heart that's not being penetrated, right? So we saw a graphic for this book, and it's like a, it's a glacier, and there's a little piece of it sitting above the water, and then there's a big, huge piece on the bottom, right? That's pretty much what it looks like in the church. We're we, we dealing with a lot of surface stuff, but we're not going deep in dealing with that big old glacier. And the Bible makes a beautiful case, and I think in Ephesians 4, it makes a beautiful case for emotional health. So I'm going to walk us through that this morning. Um, this is a pretty complex text, so on certain areas, I might slow down a little bit, okay? Y'all with me? Are y'all awake? Can we fist bump our neighbor real quick and say, wake on up? All right. Okay. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to start reading, all right? So I'm starting at verse 1, Ephesians 4, if you're following. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humanity and excuse me, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is Paul speaking to those at, uh, at Ephesus, right? So he's speaking to the Ephesians, Apostle Paul. And one of the things I want to point to, I'm going to stop periodically and show you some things. In that first section, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Something I want to point out to you. Right there, he says, unity. He says, maintain the unity of uh, the Spirit in the bond of peace. Down in verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right? So Paul is doing two things here. He's talking about maintaining something. He's talking about, and what he's talking about maintaining is the fact that God, when we became Christians, already did something, right? There's a work that was already finished. We're his children. Our sins are washed away. They're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has given us this, 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 that, this, this calling that is high. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Do it with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's saying that God has done something where he's wiped our sins away. He's wiped our sins away, and when he wipes our sins, like if we all walk in this room, and me and you, we're meeting outside, and I'm like, yo, listen, 
I was a filthy, low-down, dirty dog, man. I'm talking about I'm guilty, man. I shouldn't be allowed to actually walk in this room or whatever, but like I'm filthy, man. I, didn't, I got some bodies in the trunk. I got some skeletons in the closet, and you're like, me too. But Jesus is like, yo, I've, he, he's, we, we both, we're both in court, and, and the judge is like, you're not guilty. We're going to have this crazy type unity going on. You get where I'm coming from? Because like, we're going to be like rejoicing. We're going to be happy. We're going to be rejoicing over the fact that we are forgiven. Like we've actually get, gotten a brand new chance where we're supposed to pay this penalty for our crime, but our, but our punishment has been removed. And like there, there is going to be, number one, a peace that surpasses our understanding in this joy that we've now found, right? And so he's saying like, God has done this amazing thing. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, right? So if God, so if you're, so if you're a believer and you believe Jesus has died for your sins, right? And, 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 you, and you experience the joy that it's saying like, don't let nothing pull you down from it. Maintain it. You get where I'm coming from? Maintain it, all right? And then this other aspect, it says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So there is this finished work that God has done. So you maintain it by keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ's blood is the only thing that actually maintains it. Y'all with me so far? And then there's this other part that talks about attaining the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So that part is talking about something that we are actually pursuing in real life, right? We are go we're, we're looking to attain that. We have been given the credit. We are justified, so we're given the credibility, right? So it's like if you go get a car loan, and they're like, listen, I know you don't got the paper. We're going to give you a loan. You're good. You can walk out of here with the car today, right? You got the car. Go on and maintain it. What you're trying to attain to is to keep them payments up and pay off the car. You get where I'm coming from? Does that make sense? All right. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So what we're talking about here is that attaining is a sanctification process. That is the Spirit of God doing a work inside of you where it is actually confronting the things that are broken inside of you, right? And it's trying to build unity in the body and in the church where we all have faith right? Where we have this unity in our faith. Like we are like, God is good, God is faithful, and we move forward all believing that, right? So anytime something new, something comes up or whatever, something on social media, the church may be attacked, people talking crazy or whatever, you lose a building, but that you actually keep this unity of faith. And when we declare like God is good and faithful, we can keep moving forward together. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. Like where everybody is unified in their trust in God. and our knowledge of the Son of God, bringing us to mature manhood. So Paul, when we read this stuff a lot of times, what happens is we hear words like attain, and our first thought is, what do I need to attain? And then we go to work. We go to work, like in our flesh. We go to work and it's like, okay, he said be good. I'm going to will myself to be good. Um, and what we end up doing in the process is we end up suppressing a lot of what is broken deep inside of us, right? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how I go. I, like, you ever been to church with, like, certain church people, and they'll pray for you all day long? Cut them off in traffic. Curse you out. Be in the public parking lot. Sister so-and-so been and jabbed your whole tires up, all right? Put you on four flats. Do you get where I'm coming from? Right? There's this thing or whatever where, like, we, we jumped into the acting role really, really hard, but we missed this idea that Christ actually wants to go deep into the nooks and crannies of our heart and deal with that ugly part that's inside of us. Y'all with me? It's kind of like a, like if you ever went and stayed in like an Airbnb before, you like you ever get to the house or whatever and like you go in there, you got free reign of this beautiful house or whatever, or whatever you're staying in, but then there's always like a couple like locked doors, like a couple locked rooms. You get where I'm coming from? Like you always like, man, this house is dope or whatever, and you get to the one door and you're like, this joint, like, what the, you know, you're trying to, like, look in there, but, like, they, like, this is my personal stuff. You can't come inside of here. You get where I'm coming from? And that's what we usually do. That's what I often do. I'm like, God, okay, we can talk about all that. You know what I'm saying? My wife sometimes will call me out. She'd be like, babe, you really need to look. I'm like, oh, word? <laughs> what about you, though? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to hear it. That room is locked. Like, you can't come in there. You get where I'm coming from? Any of y'all do that? All right, I'm alone. I'm the only one messed up in here. All right. Or like, have you ever, you ever tried to like counsel someone? And like, they're like, they come to you for counsel, but then they end up diagnosing their own issue perfectly. And you're like, yeah, man, like what you doing? There? And they're like, I see, I already know, like this, this, and this. And you're like, yeah. And then by the time you finish, you're like, okay, you just won't let Jesus deal with that thing. You get it, but you're like, Lord, you can't come in to that room. Y'all get me? So Paul, like as we go through this text, I don't have to stretch it at all. You're going to see him start dealing with emotional um, emotions in Christ and taking Christ and dealing with your emotions. I'm not bending it at all. You're going to see it happen as we go through this text. Um, Philippians 4, 10 through 13 says, says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that at length you have um, reviewed your concern for me. This is Paul talking. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We read this text often, and people, I've heard them quoted all the time. And so I think a lot of times people hear this text and they think of it kind of like Paul is talking with some kind of swagger, like, yeah, man, you know, I done had paper, you know what I'm saying, not had it, whatever. Like he's just talking loosely. But Paul is actually talking about spiritual maturity, right? So he's talking about physical things. He's talking about having what you actually need to function. He's saying, he said, he's, he's faced, uh, he's had plenty. Um, he, he said, he said he's, he's been in hunger, he's had abundance, and he's had need. So he's talking about circumstances. And I don't know about you, but often my circumstances have a heavy weight on my emotions, right? When my money's right, I walk like this. You'll see it sometimes. Just call me out. You'll see it. I'll just be like, you know, like if I do like this right here, whatever, that means I got some money somewhere. 
But when, I, when I'm trying to figure out bills, you'll see, usually see me in the hallway just confused, like stopping, looking at stuff that don't make no sense, like, you know, like doing nothing, just lost in the sauce or whatever. Because I'm like, my circumstances have control over my emotions, right? They got, it has me on lock. So, but Paul, what he's talking about, he's like, listen, so I can do the two-step and all of that. He's saying, I've learned to live in this balance. God is still God, whether the funds are low, whether I'm hungry and wondering where the next meal is coming from, it doesn't change who God actually is. His emotions are not ran by his circumstances at all, right? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about how he got on. This is not about his swagger in the situation. He's not talking about his financial, so like he's been high and been low. He's not trying to tell you about where his money's at and none of that stuff. What he is saying is he's talking about where God is at and where he is emotionally set at with his faith in Christ. When we're talking about unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, we want it to look like what Paul is actually displaying here. We want to be set. We want to have this unity together where, like, no matter what we endure, no matter what we go through, that God is still God. The mission still goes forward. You get where I'm coming from? That no matter what we go through, God is still actually with us and close to us in the middle of it. Right? So when we read in the scriptures, we look at Paul and them in the jail cell. What are they doing? They're worshiping. Right? He's hungry. He's in the jail cell. He's worshiping. God is close. God is close. I'll tell you right now. I've been in ministry for crazy years, right? I've seen it so many times when people get money, you don't see them at church no more. You feel me? I've seen it. I've done it. I'm like, yeah, man, that's cool. We're going on vacation though, man. But then it'd be like vacation after vacation after vacation. Any of y'all ever done that before? Come on, walk in the light with me. Please don't leave me up here by myself. You feel what I'm saying? Like, it has a hold on us. God moves when circumstances move. Our emotions get tossed to and fro. That's what he's talking about in the scripture. We keep reading. Let me make a point right now. It's one of the symptoms right here. Using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. It's one of our symptoms of unhealthy emotional spirituality. It's where people, they lavish themselves with like this kind of spiritual, religious makeup, but it's just a front. You know what I mean? Um, like, I've, I've had friends, other pastors I know, or leaders I know, or young men that are like, hey, I'm going to go through assessment. And they've been like the type of guys where like, they preach all the time. Like, you can't, like, almost to the point where, like, they make you uncomfortable. Like, where you're like, man, okay, cool, man. Like, can, you know, can we just talk about the Jags game for a minute or whatever? And, like, it's like scripture, scripture, scripture. And, like, to the point where it's like, all right, man, now you're kind of spooking me out a little bit. But, like, I've seen these guys go into assessments before. 
They'll they'll preach everybody up under the table if you let them tell it, but they'll go into an assessment, and lo and behold, you're like, oh, you've been in, in an affair for like the past four years. I'm just telling you real stories. You get where I'm coming from? I read, the, I read the data to you when we started, but I'm just saying this is real life or whatever. Like people will use God to run from God. God will actually be their cover-up, right? Not their shield in the time of need and, and who they trust in, but what they use to actually block themselves and what they're doing. You ever had people tell you, like, you know what I'm saying, like, something in my spirit just ain't right. You ever heard somebody say that? It's not always a bad thing. My mom used to say that. My mom still says that all the time. She'd be on point with stuff. Like, she'd be, I don't know, she scares me a little bit. But anyway, I think she got that Dion Warwick thing a little bit. But anyway, that's another point. I'm just playing. But y'all don't get it. Anyway, so people will use hyper-spirituality also as something to hide in as well. Right? So we, we can have, you can have God calling you to actually do something. But the protection of not trusting God and not following him, man, something in my spirit ain't right. Throw that out too much, you'll use it and block yourself from everything God is calling you to. Y'all with me? All right, am I talking crazy? Y'all awake? All right, all right. God is calling us to get real. He's calling us to let us... Let them in. All right. I'm on verse 4 right now in Ephesians 4, all right? We're going to keep on moving. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on the high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill, um, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And then verse 13 that we talked about earlier. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each party, or excuse me, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's talk about this part right here where it says each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, right? What makes the body fall apart? Like when you think about that and you think about what you've actually witnessed in your time in church, what do we see? We see gossip, right? We see, we see slander. We see um, 
We see judgment. And what are those things besides the reaction from people who are experiencing very unhealthy emotions, right? Excuse me, are responding to their, to their emotions in a very unhealthy way, right? That's what we're actually witnessing. That's what happens in the church. So when it, talks, when it says early and it talks about the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, it speaks about these things as, as qualifications into this mature manhood that goes into this, the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no, no longer be children tossed to and fro. So it's saying that we are actually protected from getting knocked all over the place in, in, in that fullness in Christ, it looks like unity of the faith. It looks like we actually trust God. We trust God with the deep things of our heart. We trust him to actually navigate our emotions. Emotions aren't a bad thing, right? Being angry is not a bad thing. That's not what the Bible says. It says, be angry and do not sin, right? So it talks about healthy management of your emotions, but emotions are natural. There's something that God gave us. He intends for us to feel every single bit of it, right? We look in the Bible, it says Jesus wept. Isaiah 53, 3 says it speaks of his sorrow and his grief that he went through. John 11 says, he says, I am glad. Luke 10, he says, it says that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. We serve a father like, like, like our Lord and Savior Jesus felt emotions and he went face to face with them. And if we're a follower of Christ and we're groaning to the fullness of him, we're going to experience them too. But the problem is what we see warring against the church, what we see causing it not to work properly often, and we miss the conversation, is the mismanagement of these emotions. It's huge. It's huge. It's in, it's, it's, it's in all the counseling we do. It's in my life deep. I can start with my own home. I don't got to throw the rocks at anybody. I can start with my own home. It's, it, it, it's there. It's there. That's why it's such good news, though, to read in the Word and hear that the Father's gentle and He's merciful. Right? I'm going to keep reminding you of this. It's so good to hear that because it allows us to come to the table and be an absolute mess. Like, he actually wants you to come to the table like that, right? If you run a company and you have a manager who has a mess on his hands and they think that you're doing you a favor hiding it, guess what? When you find out that they're hiding it, you're probably going to fire them because it puts everything in jeopardy. That's what happens in the body of Christ and the disunity. That's why it's talking about the unity of faith because it's saying, do we have faith to let God actually come in into these hard places? Because if we allow him to do it and we can diagnose these things well and let Christ do its beautiful work and his healing work where he walks us into his light and he brings healing, then it builds unity in the body, right? It lets us have hard conversations. It lets us tell the truth to each other, which the word here is going to encourage us to do also. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 9 says this. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by, by water, 
that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One of the things that I think we have to find agreement in this scripture right here is that the heart is desperately sick. I don't know about you, I don't like to, I really tell stories about other people being messed up than actually tell my own story about me being messed up. I'd rather tell you like, so-and-so need to get their stuff together, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm praying for them though. You get where I'm coming from? But like, my heart is desperately sick. Like, even when I don't mean to be messed up, I can often be messed up, right? I can, I can often, I can tell you and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm just trying to love you, and I think I'm giving it to you raw and giving it to you straight up, be, be, but be a million miles from being loving in the way I do something. I've done it a million times. So what it does is it, it makes me just say, God, I need you. That's my statement in response to that. God, I, 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 I need you. We, we need him. We need him to step into the story. And so when you look at this right here, and it says, blessed is the man who's trusted in the Lord, right? And in verse 8, it says, he is, plant, he is like a tree planted by the water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. This is, we often read this stuff, and in our mind, we start picturing this person who is like this, hero and extraordinary and nothing like us, but it's like, man, I want to be that person. And in it, we start, we start actually worshiping mankind because we are actually, we miss the whole point. This person who does not fear when the heat comes is not because they're so awesome. It's because they have this closeness with the Father, right? So there was a fear and the fear is actually disintegrating with a closeness to the Father, right? It says, does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought. Its roots are by the stream. That statement is saying this person has a closeness with the Lord, right? Not a closeness with busyness, not a closeness with acting as godly as possible, but actually a communion and relationship with the Father, right? And that relationship is just like when I'm with my kids. If, if, I, if I let them out of the car and they're standing by the car and cars are going by, first thing they do is scream, Daddy. But as soon as I come grab their hand, they're like, yeah, let's go, Dad. They're trying to pull me because they feel, they feel like they're safe. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's not that there's not danger out there, but Daddy's bigger than the danger. They just trust me. They trust that I know how to navigate it, and I, and, and I got it for them. You understand where I'm coming from? Because they have a closeness with me. But if I'm not in proximity, then they're worried. So this is pointing us to the Father, not to go drum up being brave. Our braveness comes from the Father, because he's brave, because he's true, because he's faithful. Story is not about us. It's not about us being heroes. It's not about us being super Christians, right? It's not. And then at the end of verse 8, it says, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's that Paul 
having plenty thing, having nothing thing. It doesn't matter what the season, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter if the heat comes. It doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if the sun's shining bright. It's saying that this closeness in the Father, with the Father, produces fruit in the off-season and the on-season. Right? Because circumstances don't determine what happens with it. The Father determines what happens with it. Does that make sense? But we often don't agree with this. We emotionally go into pieces if the sun is not out for us the way we want it out. It has to shine in that right angle because if it's not, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to lose everything. God is bigger than you even losing everything. He'll still have a plan when everything is gone because he's just bigger than everything, right? You ever been through a tragedy and you're like, man, this thing is the best tragedy ever. My house flooded, it's been hard but I've actually been really, really grateful in the middle of it because of what it's done and just making me grateful for some things I didn't see before and making me not care about some things I used to care about that just aren't a priority anymore. God is still amazing in the midst of a tragedy, right? Wish me and my wife could get off this, this, this full-size bed, though, this mattress, though. I'm still praying for that, Lord, if you can if you hear me up there. Number two on the list is ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. It's one of our, it's one of our top ten for being unhealthy. God doesn't want you to ignore it. He doesn't want you to sidestep it. There's a better way than to respond in a sinful way. If I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes, like, you don't got to raise your hand, but, like, it just feels better sometimes to just complain if we're just going to be real. It just does, straight up and down. It just feels better. Like, I just sometimes, I just want to, I'm like, I just want to talk about somebody. It just feels better to let it on out. I'm just keeping it real. That's what my flesh actually, my flesh actually enjoys that more, right? To let my emotions just run rampant at the expense of whoever, right? At the expense of even the gospel and what that, even, what that actually is, right? It may, I get forgetful of the Lord. I'm not close to him at all. My roots aren't planted near the water at all. My emotions are doing their damage. They're wrecking things and they're breaking things. They're further separating relationships because I won't let God deal with them, right? There's, um, when my house first flooded and I brought a contractor in, um, and they messed up, and like I, uh, I ended up losing a whole lot of money. And um, where I come from, when somebody messes with your money, um, you know, things get a little crummy for them, all right? So, no joke. My heart went into a really, really ugly place. And I'm not just saying, like, I got mad one day. I mean, like, I couldn't sleep. Like, I literally was romanticizing really dark things and, and bad stuff, like, no joke or whatever. Um, and I was aware of it, but I was, like, really concerned for my heart because I feel like I didn't know how to slam the brakes on it. 
Um, and I was like, you know, I was in a place where I could kind of diagnose it or whatever, but there was this thing where it's like, number one, I was like, I was shame about it. I was shame because, you know, because like, you know, I'm trying to be the man. I'm like, yo, what, babe? I got this project handle or whatever. Knowing I'm the stupid one in the family, I should have been had my wife running everything or whatever. But, you know, I was shame a little bit, you know, because she's like, baby, did you check on this? I was like, I checked on it. I checked the box. And then I'm like, I ain't checked the box. So there's my pride, all of that, right? And I just was like hurt over it, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and I just started... I didn't know what else to do. I just started falling on my knees, and I just started confessing what, where my heart was at to God. Like, I just started naming the emotions. I'm like, God, I am furious. I'm angry. Um, I feel like I failed my family. We didn't have that money to lose. I just started saying all of those things out loud to God because I was like, the best place I know where to do is start with the truth. And God is bigger than me. So even though I can't round the corner of like saying my little cute prayer and all that, I'm like, let me spill it out before you, Lord, and say, God, please come and save me from this mess that I am. Does that make sense? And some of the things God started bringing me to was the cross. I'm sitting here mad over some money when, when, when our, our Lord walks on streets of gold, right? I'm sitting here willing to letting hatred form in my heart when this mountain of dirt that I've done and God has actually wiped my sins away. Am I out of my mind to be walking around hating anybody? Like what, I, what God took from me, I've taken a million times more than that. And God has still lavished me with this mercy and grace. If anybody should be mad, the Father's wrath should be crushing me into a puddle of juice. That's what should be happening. But I'm talking about somebody else I'm mad about. And God just started bringing me to the cross and his goodness and his mercy for me. And then it let me start easing my grip up on this person, right? And even praying for them. And I'm not perfect. Some days it flows by, whatever, and then, you know, I'm just like, hey, you know. But then I'm like, all right, thank you, Lord. And I'm holding on to him for dear life because I need his help. I need his help to forgive. And I'm saying that because it's not just a, it's not, it's something we attain to through his help, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to act like I forgive somebody and really don't. That's not going to be helpful for anybody. It's going to come out in different ways. It's going to come out with my family or whatever, right? It's going to come out, whatever. And so, thank you. And so, I just, I just want to use that as an example. Like, God wants to get into that mess, right? He wants to get into it. He wants you to let him in. I'm in verse 22. Keep reading. I'm going to kind of go a little bit faster on these last ones. Um, verse 22 says, I'll start verse Let me jump back a little bit, I'm sorry. Verse 20 says, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So the scripture right there, it keeps giving us these scenarios and these situations, and then it says, it points us to Jesus. That's what we see happening in Ephesians 4, right? Verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. See, let me point something to you really quick. If you read verse 22 and then you stop there and you don't go on to verse 26, then you think Paul is giving you a prescription on how to just act. Right? You think, you, like, you have to break down this text really well because he keeps pointing to Jesus. Right? And then he says, put off your old self. That belongs to your former manner of life. It has corrupt and deceitful desires, right? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So don't pretend to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The application is Jesus Christ applied to your brokenness renews the spirit of your mind. That's what he's showing us. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. The fruit of it is that we can actually tell the truth, right? Like, a, like a, the unity of faith, how it works inside of the body of Christ, is that we all know that we're sinners saved by grace, right? What usually happens inside of church communities is that we all pretend and act like we got our stuff together or whatever, and like what the Bible tells us, where he says, come and walk into the light, we don't really walk in the light. We kind of chill in the darkness every now and then, we stick an ear out or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But if you have a mullet, you swing the mullet around, let it hit the light a little bit, and then you come back. None of y'all got mullets. All right, cool. But we do this thing where it's like we don't feel like we have the freedom to walk in the light and actually be a mess. But if we are actually able to walk in the light and be a mess, then God, then the Bible says, it says in John, it says, like, Christ, like his blood, it's redeemed us. Like, that doesn't throw God off that you're a wreck. He fully understood that when he got on the cross. What throws him off is when you won't walk in the light and admit it. What throws him off is that when we have locked rooms inside of the house that we won't let them in, Right? He wants to deal with that emotional baggage, right? One of the other uh, evidences of this brokenness in our emotions, right, and unhealthiness is denying the impact of the past on the present. Y'all any, know anybody like that? Maybe you like that? Well, it's like you got things from the past that's a mess. I have things from my past that still show up, right? Sometimes I talk to my kids or whatever, like, like we in the streets or something. Like I forget, <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm serious. I'm like, I'm like, yo, listen, man, like I told you one time, you know, and I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like stuff just 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 like skeletons in the closet, they show up. They, they, they show up in my flesh. They try, to, they, start, they try to sabotage the now, right? It's so crazy that we often don't want to deal with the past. But, but here's the thing. We see this even in society, whatever, right? We see broken communities, and then people try to show up and want to fix it, starting from right where they're at. 
and completely deny the historical narrative that has broken the community over years and years and years and all the systems put in place to break the community. You get where I'm coming from? So we, we mirror this all the time in society. It's foolishness. It doesn't make sense, right? You can't take somebody who has a, who, who, who has a drug addiction and I don't care how many suits or how many beautiful dresses you put them in. It doesn't change the story, right? We have to go and deal with the past. And God actually thinks that's a beautiful thing. God thinks that's the right thing. He's like, I'll, he's like I'll, I've done the cleanup job in one swipe with Jesus Christ. But now I want you to attain the dealing with the ugly stuff. All right, I've already justified you. You're perfect in my eyes. But let me deal with this. Let me start this sanctification process. And you got freedom to be a mess along the way because I've already marked you as perfect, right? I've already justified you. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. So we get to rejoice in that even while we're limping along. You get where I'm coming from? We can have well-intended priorities and values, but if we don't deal with the past, it's just going to be running that program in the back of the scenes doing damage. Can't deny the impact of the past on the present. Let me keep reading. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Listen to this right here, how Paul deals with the emotional aspect in verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the prescription. This is, that's the application, as God in Christ forgave you. It's like when I told you about the contractor and I told you about my anger, what I had to do was go look at the work of Christ and what Christ actually did for me, right? So what Christ did for me actually has poured through me in the way of forgiveness, in the way of mercy. Do you get where I'm coming from? So the way, the, the power that is supposed to power the body of Christ is that Christ is actually working in you, through you. This closeness, like if we're going to be the tree that's planted by the rivers of waters, right? And our, and, and, and our roots are going to be getting filled. Then it requires a closeness with God. Not an acting like God. Not a, not a act, excuse me, not acting religious. Not just simple God activity. Not just quoting scriptures. You can memorize them all day long. But if they're not like life to you, you remember David said, like, I, like he said, God, he said, I pant for you, like the deer pants for the water. David was like, I'm a wreck. If I get away from you, I'm through. I thought I was good. I thought I was King David till I killed my man and took his wife. God, I'm, I'm treacherous. I, I can't, like, so I tell a story like this sometimes. I'm like, some of y'all, you'll get where I'm coming from. I'm not, I'm not talking about walking perfect, but I'm just saying, like, 
I can't dip out on God. There is nowhere else for me to go. Some people may have some options, but some of y'all know what I'm talking about. There's a bullet in a grave waiting on a brother. You get where I'm coming from? Like, the, the idea, people can tell you you're good all day. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Take the blood of Jesus away from me. I'll destroy my marriage and everything to it in 10 seconds. I'm not going to sell you a story. It's by the blood of Jesus that we're here, that any of us are here. There's no heroes in this room. There's no good people in this room. There's only a good God who's doing a work in the heart of sinners who have now been saved by grace and are now called the righteousness of God. He's the only hero in the room. It's the last point. It's dying to the wrong things. You know, one of the things I used to hate was when people would ask me, Jay, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want? I hate it when people ask me that because my religious self didn't even think I was allowed to have an opinion in that statement. Anybody ever identify with that, feel that, know what I'm talking about? I didn't know I could say something. It would always sound like, man, I just, just, you know, whatever the Lord wants, you know what I'm saying? This and that, da-da-da, whatever, and like, I started killing off all the things that God actually, like the gifts he gave me and the different things he put inside of me. And so, in my mind, I, it registered as I wanted something other than God or something. Which, was, which is really me denying like God's creativity and splendor in his creation. Some of y'all get excited when you walk by a piano. Some of you see colors and you just dye the paint. It's just certain ways God actually made you. And he's not telling you to kill those things. He wants to get into the things, you know, that in the Airbnb with the back room all locked up. He wants to get in there. But he loves the artwork you put inside of the living room. You get where I'm coming from? Dying to the wrong things. It's a symptom of, emotion, of unhealthy emotions, right? Unhealthy emotional spirituality. It's too many words. I became a slave to the opinions of other Christians. I no longer was having relationship with the Father, hearing the Father's will, what people said to me, or what I perceived to be good old Christian work or whatever, is what guided every aspect of my life. I'm not, I'm not putting this together for the sake of just preaching. This is actually something that I literally had to deal with, and it was a grievous time for me. It was a grievous realization. Because even when God would give me freedom to do things or whatever, I, I'm like, I feel like God is excited about this, and I feel like he's showing me this. I'm excited about it. I'm like, they aren't excited about it. And so I wouldn't move, and I realized that I was actually a slave to the opinion of people. That's something we got to deal with. All of us have to look in the mirror and deal with that. God doesn't want us bound up like that. All right. That's all our symptoms. I got a, I got, I got, I got a text I want to send you all out the door with. All right. It's Matthew 11, 28, 30. If you got my verse I sent out this morning, um, Ben, you can go ahead and come up. Excuse me, not this morning, but I sent out this week um, concerning the shooting downtown. Um, I sent you all this scripture, and I, I want to use it to encourage you all before we go. 
It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it says this. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, that scripture is amazing. God is making an invitation to us. I don't know about you, but I get so tired and worn out and weary from all of the opinions in the world, all of, all of everything, like, it, it just, it feels like, even with, like, social media, it's like you can't get any rest at all, right? It feels like everything's just telling you you're failing all the time. You don't get, a, you ain't doing enough. You, like, and it's, it's, a, it's a mean, it's a mean master. Keeps you running on this treadmill all the time. But then the God is saying, Come to me. All who are working and you're heavy late, like, like, like if the, that weight is too much, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke. Learn from me. He says, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. He says, you will find rest for, my, for your soul. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not saying that there's not something to carry. But he says he's in it with you. He said it's light, he says it's gentle. It won't tell you you missed it. It won't tell you you're not enough. He's going to tell you, he's going to put his son Jesus in front of you and be like, you're worth that right there. You're worth the king of kings coming down from heaven, from his throne, taking up the body of his own creation, being spit on, beat upon, living a life of sorrow and grief just to make you his child. He's merciful. And he loves us. And he loves you. And I want you to know that this morning. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just bless you, Father. We praise you, Lord. God, we, we start off by saying we don't have all of the answers. God, I preach your word this morning, Father Lord. It's your word. It's all yours. It doesn't mean I'm on top of it. It doesn't mean I got it together because I preached it. I have to come up under this word humbly like everybody else in this room. Father, I need your help, Lord. We all need your help, Father Lord. Help us to walk in the light. Don't just help us swallow our pride, but help, help us swallow the gospel that it's real and that it's true that we are safe in your arms. Help us, Father Lord, to allow you to deal with the things from the past that Satan wants to use to wreak havoc in our life, to use to destroy our marriages, destroy our relationships. Father Lord, help us to be light on our feet, Father Lord, when it comes to forgiveness and mercy towards each other. Let us be more about seeing people grow towards you than we are about straightening them out when they cross us or something, Lord. Let us be more quick to pray for people than to gossip about people. But Lord, more than all of that, help us to lift up the hood and get to what's wrong deep in our hearts 
that cause us to spew out gossip and hatred towards each other and envy towards each other. Bitterness and anger. Father, show us how to rest. Show us how to prioritize what needs to be prioritized, Father. God, we've made so many things so big. And we just set you right in the list of all the things we have to juggle. And we're wrong for that, Father, Lord, so we repent. Help us to make you bigger than anything. So we just praise you. We thank you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy towards us, shown through your son, Jesus, Father. We thank you for our church. Thank you for everybody here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen.